Hey there, this is Vic Mignogna, Captain James T. Kirk from Star Trek Continues, and you're listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Outpost on the Benicia Colony via the Astral Queen. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. We're happy you're here. Thanks so much for downloading. Thanks so much for being part of our pod fleet. We are so excited to talk tonight about an episode that I've always loved ever since I was a kid. And people think I'm strange when I say that, but they think I'm strange anyway. Speaking of strange, I'd like to introduce my co-host, He's the recently relocated Dan Davidson, and Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. I hope uh, I hope you're ready for the Shakespeare and the uh, and the ship's theater. I am ready. I am ready to go, and I am able. And I don't know what I'm talking about because this episode can be so confusing if you're not a person who reads a lot of Shakespeare. And I don't mean this episode, Trek Geeks. For thou art Trek Geeks, not bind thine self be true. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, as long as it's as long as it's not first kill all the podcasters, I think we'll be fine. Oh, oh, thank you, thank you. So yeah, we're going to talk about um, a, a TOS episode t- today. And can you believe that the first time I saw this, I was about six or seven years old, and I've loved it since then. It really is amazing when you think about it, because it's not one that I have loved through the years. And of course, we're talking about season one of TOS. The Conscience of the King. We're going to talk about that in depth today. But, you know, we've talked a couple of times here on Trek Geeks about your love of this episode and my non-love of the episode to a point. I have rewatched it uh, based on um, just your discussion and some other things that we'll get into later on. And and it's good, but I'm, I don't think I put it at the same level as you, but I'm still looking forward to talking about it. Well, that's outstanding. Did you know that it's also one of Ron Moore's favorite episodes? I, I did know that, as a matter of fact. I bet you thought you were going to catch me there, didn't you? It's actually his favorite TOS episode, if I recall correctly. He actually named a ship in his reimagined Battlestar Galactica, the Astral Queen. There you go. Yes, there you so. go. But uh, but I'm looking forward to this. It's a, it's kind of neat. I'll, I'll tell you one of the, some of the things that grabbed me about this episode as we get into the discussion. But Dan, speaking of discussion, why don't you tell the good folks listening to this fantastical podcast how they can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail or an email or just general comments? I would be happy to do that, Mr. Executive Producer. It's actually uh, easier than ever to get in touch with us. You can head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you can find a variety of ways to send us your thoughts, and we want to hear from you. 
So you can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and send us a message directly. I almost said it correctly this week. I swear I'll get it one of these days. Um, Also, please don't forget, you can click on the big blue button on the right-hand side of the website and leave us a voice message using SpeakPipe. And as always, we love talking about it, and we're going to continue talking about it. We want you all to join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. There's always great Star Trek discussion, Star Trek pictures and polls and contests going on over there. We're adding new people just about every day to the Camp Kittimer family. And being part of Camp Kittimer gets you early access to episodes of the Trek Geeks podcast even before they're released. So that's pretty cool. To join the group, just head on over to Facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And uh, we will let you right in, Bill, myself, or maybe even one of our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan. But please remember that any messages or comments that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. That sounds so terrifying. Camp Kittimer is such a friendly place, Dan. Wow. You know, first off, I mean, you mentioned them briefly just a second ago, but we don't do enough to sing the praises of Heather, Jackie, or Dan. Oh, gosh. In, in their administration of Camp Kittimer. They do such a fantastic job, and uh, we love all three of them. They are such wonderful Star Trek fans and, and dear friends of ours. We know them all personally, and they're all from different parts of the country, which is the best part. Uh, we all convened at STLV a couple of years ago, and uh, I look forward to doing it again in the very near future. But uh, they are three wonderful individuals with whom we could not make Camp Kittimer work any other way. So I can't agree more with you, man. It's, it's so great to have uh, all three folks, Heather, Jack, and Dan, as admins. It, it puts our mind at ease that we know that the, the site is being um, administered uh, the way that we want and in a positive way. And like you said, we can't give them enough praise for, for everything that they do over there at CK. It's yeah, it's not like every other Star Trek group out there on Facebook. I mean, we try to keep the trolling to an uh, an extreme minimum. Mm-hmm. We try to keep the discussions positive. We try to keep things you know, PG-13 uh for the most part and it's um it's just, it's about love of Star Trek and I think that's the best part about it. So, Dan, speaking of love of Star Trek, and you mentioned just a moment ago a variety of ways for people to get in touch with us. We have a couple of voicemails today. Nice. I like that. Yeah. 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 I know. We're going to listen to the first one. It's from Jennifer, who took the time to leave us a voicemail. There are actually two of them, and I just put them together really quickly. And uh, here's what Jennifer has to say. I would love to hear an episode about the technology in the 60s that was fantasy that we use every day. I mean, I'm using one right now to record this. And kind of what your thoughts are on how, you know, even Shatner and Gene Roddenberry would... uh, think about their fantasy becoming reality. And I've even heard that Apple is coming up with a sort of food replicator, not quite, but pretty darn close. So I'd just like to hear, you know, 50 years later when I can watch Star Trek on my tablet by saying, tablet, play Star Trek. So I have two more show ideas that I want to hear. I want to hear you guys' top five battles. Like Sunday night, the Discovery kicks some ass. And um, when the Excelsior and Enterprise were fighting, that was pretty great. But what are your top five battles? And also an overview of all the different ships, like the Excelsior, the Defiance, the Franklin, and what their history is and why they're important to the Trek universe. Thank you. 
Well, buddy, that's a, that's a great voicemail. First, we have to thank Jennifer for leaving that for us. Um, she brought up a variety of topics, which I thought were all fantastic, one of which might actually make a great Trek Ranks episode, huh? I think it would make it very – and I think you're talking about the battles. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, absolutely. Jennifer, great email, uh, great voicemail. Thank you so much for sending that in to us. A lot of stuff to dissect in that voicemail. First of all, she's absolutely right. When you look at the technology today, so many things that we use today, today – were actually created because of Star Trek. And I think that's amazing to think about. We're watching a science fiction TV show in the late 60s, and now we're using these futuristic devices on a daily basis. And without them, we can't even function anymore. Um, I think that'd be a great idea to talk about. I think there's some novels or some, not novels, but some books out there about Star Trek technology. So I'm all for that. But uh, I think Trek ranks uh, should uh, be starting to you know, get us involved in maybe one of those special episodes for the top five battles. Wow. I think so too. And the other thing I, I liked her, uh, her suggestion of the overview of ships, especially I like to approach it from the angle of which ones we've loved the most over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, we did a first officer Thunderdome uh, at some point last year. <laughs> uh, perhaps we should do a, a starship uh, a square off or whatever it is. And talk about our favorite ships and why. I think that would be amazing. Uh, the Defiant Winds. I mean, case closed. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. God, man. I didn't say which Defiant, though, did I? Huh? <laughs> no, no, but you've narrowed it down. I'm going to – actually, I'm not going to tell you mine. I'm going to save it for when we do that episode someday. And I think maybe we'll call it Send Your Ships. <laughs> How <laughs> oh, Droz is going to love that one. <laughs> you know, if I can't pull in a little Anthony Zerba, I mean, what? what's life for? So, uh, Dan, we also have a second voicemail today from Melanie that actually we just received, uh, I think, just last night as we record this. Um, but Melanie, uh, M- Melanie had quite a few comments, including uh, catching us on one point from our Dear Doctor episode. So let's listen to Melanie. Hi, Bill and Dan. This is Melanie calling from California. I've been wanting to reach out to you for some time to let you know how absolutely amazing your podcasts are. I am a massively huge Star Trek fan and native New Englander, and I want to say that Trek geeks and discovering Trek are literally the highlight of my week. Thank you so much for all the hard work you put into them. I could seriously go on and on about how great the podcasts are, how meaningful they are to me, and how awesome you guys are, but I only have nine seconds. Maybe sometime I can share more of my thoughts and talk Trek with you. I really enjoyed the episode about Dear Doctor. I'm a huge Enterprise fan. You were wondering if Phlox's friend, Dr. Jeremy Lucas, makes another appearance, and actually he does. In Season 4, Episode Cold Station 12, which is part of the Augment trilogy with Brent Spiner as Dr. Arik Soong. If you haven't seen this trilogy in a while, I suggest a rewatch. It's really awesome, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Thank you again so much for everything. You guys are so awesome. Take care. Well, Dan, we love emails that tell us our voicemails that tell us we're awesome, but we do have to thank uh, Melanie genuinely for taking the time to send us that message. And uh, that was a great catch by her. It was a great catch. And, and to, to your point for both Jennifer and Melanie, I, I can't tell you how much it means to me when someone takes time out of their day to reach out and contact us and leave us messages like they both did. It really, really makes us feel great and means a lot to me. And I'm sure it means a lot to you too, man. Without doubt, without a doubt, man. Yeah. In fact, uh, I was just looking it up on IMDb. And in fact, Dr. Lucas is played by a Richard Reel, who also, he was in uh, Office Space. He plays uh, the guy who makes the jump to conclusions map, but he's also in the inner light in Star Trek The Next Generation. 
Echo, I did not know that. Well, that's great. And and I love that she pointed out that fact because, you know, as I said last week, I wonder if he ever shows up. And not only does he show up, but he he shows up. He's not just a name. So uh, I think I will be taking a look at uh, the Augments trilogy again very soon. I know that here, – here it comes. I know that it was recently on H&I. Uh, but I missed it because we were in the middle of our move. But uh, um, yeah, and and you know what? Melanie scores extra points because, you know, she may live in California, but she's a former New Englander, so that's awesome. And since she's in California, I'm thinking she needs to get to STLV so we can meet her and thank her in person for that awesome voicemail. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. Melanie, if you get the chance to go to Star Trek Las Vegas, you will be around, you know, 4,000 or so of your closest Trek friends that you haven't met yet. It's a wonderful time. We're there every year. Um, we usually do a couple of special things. Uh, last year, we did the, the Fansets Discovery Launch Party, which was just an amazing time. And so many great people came out. And uh, we're going to be doing lots of stuff this year, too. So if you can make it out to STL, STLV, great. If not, please pay no attention to the outtake where I bash Maine for about six minutes. (laughs) (laughs) He does. Well, you brought it out of me. What can I say? (laughs) Dan, it's time for the news from (laughs) treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net. Online. <laughs> treknews.net. Did somebody switch you from 33 to 78? At that point. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice record player reference. I like it. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Dan, up first. So I was minding my own yesterday morning, drinking coffee on my iPad. And I got an email from Star Trek.com that said that they have launched a brand new portal for Star Trek merchandise. Yeah. Thanks, Star Trek. Because now I have no money anymore ever again. This is awesome <laughs> news. And to tell you the truth, I didn't know this because with the move going on yesterday, I didn't see this until about 11 o'clock last night when I was looking over the show notes and you would put it in here. Very awesome news. CBS and Amazon.com have launched a new portal specifically for Star Trek merchandise. That is just awesome news. And here's even better news. Some of the products that you're going to see at this site you cannot get anywhere except this site. Uh, they're not even available on Star Trek.com. So it's very, very cool. There's tons of brand new Discovery swag over at this site, and it's very, very easy to get to. All you need to go, all you need to do is go to Amazon.com slash Star Trek, and you can see some new stuff, order some new stuff, get in deeper debt like I'm going to do, and still be happy about it. Yay. Yay. Yeah, they've got, uh, they've got so much stuff out there. And I'm sure it's going to be the kind of thing they're adding to all the time. Um, some of the Discovery designs are really kind of great um, and, and really even honestly better than the ones on Star StarTrek.com. Uh, there are a couple of weird shirts. Like there's a picture of the original series Enterprise with the Star Trek The Next Generation logo, which I'm, I'm pretty sure could be a collector's item at some point. Um, yeah, I think that one actually may have been pulled down by today. So we'll see. It's new. 
bugs. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, when you think about it, it really is a brilliant thing to do because, I mean, Amazon.com, it's like the biggest site on the planet probably. And now you've got the best TV show ever there. One and one equals two last time I checked. So congratulations, Star Trek and, and Amazon. That's pretty awesome. Breaking news here on the Trek Geeks podcast. Dan Davidson attempts math and succeeds. <laughs> hey, great job. Thanks, buddy. Hey, no problem. Dan, up next in news, it appears that he, who will always be Captain James T. Kirk, William Shatner, thinks that virtual reality is the key to bringing him back to Star Trek. <laughs> this was this was quite a humorous uh, article, I've got to say. Um, our friends over at treknews.net uh, had this article. I read it, and I was actually giggling to myself. Yes, um, in order for William Shatner to uh, replay the role of Captain James T. Kirk, um, he thinks, like Bill said, virtual reality and CGI is the key to having his character return. And quote Mr. Shatner here, I recently connected with a virtual reality company, Ziva, and they have virtual realized me in 240 cameras all around shooting me. So they can now produce my body and my face in any way, shape, or form, including what I was like 50 years ago. So does that mean that we will see a young William Shatner in the future in a Star Trek movie, whether Prime Universe or Kelvin Timeline? Only time will tell. I hope not. I'm going to go right out here and just say it. Um, the guy, I, no, don't get me wrong. I love Captain Kirk. I love William Shatner's portrayal of Captain Kirk. But he's 86 now. Mm -hmm. um, they could make him look like 36-year-old Jim Kirk in the original series. But at the end of the day, he's still going to sound like an 86-year-old man. Now, okay, people will say that, well, you know, look what they did with Peter Cushing's likeness in uh, Rogue One or Carrie Fisher's likeness at the end of Rogue One or, uh, or, or various other things. And it, it's possible. Yes, it's possible. But uh, to paraphrase Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, just because you can do a thing does not follow that you should do that thing. And I changed that line on purpose, Dan. I say that to myself every week before we start recording, Bill, but I don't want to digress. Uh, yeah, I, I can't disagree with you there. I mean, I actually like the Peter Cushing version in Rogue One. I thought that was done well. I did not like the Carrie Fisher version. I thought it was very fake looking. Um, you know what? Leave Shatner or leave Kirk the way we remember him in TOS. There's no need to pull him in a, a, a virtual reality Kirk uh, to to do what's going to be done. We have Chris Pine as Kirk in the Kelvin timeline, and you know, fresh idea, young young minds, fresh ideas. Be tolerant. That's what I have to say. Nice, I like that. Good, uh, good deep cut there. Mm. Well, the other thing too is, I'm sure Chris Pine won't be the last person to play James T. Kirk. Right. Let's be honest about this. Absolutely. You know, at some point he's going to decide he doesn't want to do it anymore, or maybe he's at a point where he too feels he's too old to play Captain Kirk. So there's nothing that says that somebody else couldn't play Captain Kirk just as well as either of those two gentlemen. So um, as much as I appreciate Mr. Shatner's um, um, willingness, shall we say, mm -hmm. I just, uh, I'm, <laughs> I had this reaction when you were reading the quote. I'm not surprised that he was excited to be surrounded by 240 cameras. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know what? Maybe if he changes his mind and decides to come on the Trek Geeks podcast, maybe my mind will change too. 
But until then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> until that uh, – I'm sorry. Hell is frozen over? What's that? <laughs> I think it will be even longer than that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. And it's not It's not because we don't want him here. It's because Shatner doesn't do podcasts, right. period. Um, and, Dan, lastly in news, I, I think you and I are both a little tired. I mean, you from the move, but we're also pretty exhausted because the first season finale of Star Trek Discovery was this past Sunday, man. And uh, Wow. I can't even say anything about it. I, I really can't. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we don't give spoilers on this podcast. Right. So we're not going to tell anybody anything that happened. But I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, and you can follow up with whatever whatever you like. If you have been waiting to watch Star Trek Discovery until it was bingeable, now's your chance because you could watch all 15 of these episodes inside a, a few days, and uh, man. What a ride. I, uh, that's all I got to say. I just, I, oh, I just get so frustrated when I think, how can people say this is a bad show? And how can people say this is not a good Star Trek show? It has been everything that I have wanted in a new Star Trek series. I absolutely love it. I, I am just so excited about what we have seen over the last 15 episodes. Uh, I'm even more excited for the fact that they're working on season two right now. It's actually being worked on right now. I'm very sad that we have to wait a long time until we get to season two, but it gives us all this time to talk about what we just saw and to talk about what we think is going to happen in season two. I'm thrilled that Star Trek is back on the air. I love Discovery. It was an amazing season, and I cannot wait to see what happens in season two. Well, and if you're just picking up Star Trek Discovery because the season is over, please remember that you know we have a companion podcast designed to follow each episode of Star Trek Discovery, so you can get the breakdown and analysis from us and and some of our amazing friends who joined us all season long at uh, at Discovering Trek, which you can find at PodFleet.com, and uh, it's just it just sit back and enjoy it. I mean, know that season two is going to take on a little more of that Star Trek optimism, but they kind of had to get there from here, and it's been a long road, Dan. It's oh, oh wow, you're the, welcome. The deep cuts this uh, this episode this this may be the most we've had so far, and I have a feeling there'll be more. I do. Oh, absolutely, there will be. But um, but you know, it's it, it's it's the kind of thing where I, if you binge it, I think it's going to be a completely different experience seeing it the first time. And as much as I wish I could do that, I'm glad I watched it from week to week. I'm glad I watched we we both watched it week to week. It gave us the chance, you know, when we're commuting to work every day, we get to dissect the episode on so many levels. And then we do it on Discovering Trek also for the listeners, but I like that. Doing a whole binge of all 15 episodes and then trying to take it all in and dissect it, I think would be a little bit too much, especially for someone like you. I know. But I know. We do what we can. But yeah, I I agree with you. It's and I I loved watching it episode to episode every week, but I'll tell you what, I can see myself sitting down and watching three or four episodes at a time while I'm ironing possibly uh, over the next uh, several months. Allegedly, allegedly. And Dan, you know, we want to tell everybody that, of course, we're done the first uh, 15 episodes of Discovering Trek. Coming up in the very near future, probably next week sometime, we will be dropping a special season recap mm-hmm. with our good friend Ken Ray from Mission Log. So that's very exciting. We hope everybody keeps an eye out for that on the uh, on the Discovering Trek feed. And once we uh, record that, I think we'll actually drop it in the Trek Geeks feed and, and give everybody appropriate spoiler warnings. He's Ken Ray. I, I just <laughs> wanted to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just- I'm a- 
I, cut that out. I, I, I will he's going to stop joining us. Cut it out. <laughs> I'm very excited to talk to Ken. Uh, he's he's such a great guy. Just does a great job over at Mission Log and Mission Log Live, and it's going to be really really special to have him sitting in the Discovering Trek special guest star seat. I like that. That's pretty good. Yeah, we mentioned it just a couple of moments ago, but we want to remind everybody that now it's even easier to subscribe to both Trek Geeks and also Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion. Go on over to podfleet.com and find out how you can get either or both of our podcasts directly on your iPod, iPhone, Android, or other device. You know, maybe you're still using a Sony Walkman because they make an MP3 version of that, you know. Uh, Plus, you can even stream the podcast directly using Spotify or iHeartRadio or Stitcher. And sometimes you can even play them over your home assistant like Google or Alexa. Hey, Alexa, play the Trek Geeks podcast. Let's see what that does. (laughs) It's your independent (laughs) Star Trek podcast delivered your way. So join our pod fleet and make it so, friends. Dan. Bill. The Conscience of the King, the classic original series episode. Um, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting topic for this week, especially because it's it's become automatically relevant again, hasn't it? It has become relevant um, for a couple of reasons, uh, I think. Um, the first off, we actually talked about this, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, um, during our news segment, is there's a great new Discovery novel that has just been released. It just came out in the last week. Uh, by Dayton Ward, who we got a chance to talk to at STLV. Great, great guy. Um, the novel is called Drastic Measures, and it has a very, very tight tie-in to this episode. Yes, it absolutely does. And in fact, if if you go to StarTrek.com, Dayton Ward wrote an article about writing this book. And uh, it's really fascinating because he was having conversations with Kirsten Beyer, who's on the writing staff of Star Trek Discovery, and um, he would get details about the characters and updates, and he would be able to pepper some of these things into this novel. So for those who don't know, and this is not really a spoiler, so we're not ruining anything right. for anybody. But um, the central events of this this novel, Drastic Measures by Dayton Ward, um, take place on Tarsus Four, and deal with the, uh, well, let's call it genocide because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, enacted by Governor Kodos, or Kodos the Executioner, as he is known in The Conscience of the King. So it is a direct tie-in to that episode. It involves both Philippa Giorgio, uh, Michelle Yeoh's character, and Gabriel Lorca, uh, Jason Isaac's character. And that's all we're going to say so we don't give anything away with regard to Star Trek Discovery. But um, there'll be some interesting backstory. Um, It's an earlier point in their careers, so neither of them have been captains yet. And um, I, if you check out that article, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, it's a, it's Dayton's recollection of how this came about, and I think it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm still wrapping up uh, the other uh, 
uh, Star Trek Discovery novel, uh, Desperate, Man- Desperate Hours. Man- Hours. Sorry, thank you. I always get the two confused because they're similar titles. Um, so I have not yet started this. It is downloaded on my Kindle, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, I think that's one of the things that's so great about about what we're seeing with Discovery right now is, yes, some people are upset that it takes place 10 years before Kirk and Spock, but it gives us this opportunity for some great retcon. And retcon can be done very, very well. And I think this is going to be a good example of how it can be done well. We're going to get that backstory. We're going to get what actually happened on Tarsus 4. Now, it also was uh, mentioned in the autobiography of James T. Kirk, which I mentioned last week when we were previewing what we were going to talk about this week. So, I love stuff like this, so I'm really looking forward to reading this book. I, uh, I'm I've started the audiobook, and I'm about five chapters in, and so far I'm I'm really enjoying it because you know there's there's depth to both Giorgio and Lorca that I hadn't considered before. So I'm very I'm all in on that, right? Because those characters are both so new, and I feel like there's a lot we can learn about them. And a lot of these things were informed directly from the Discovery Writers Room, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the most exciting things. So um, yeah, it's out there in audio form, which is what I'm consuming it as. It's out there in in regular go to your bookstore version, or uh, you can even get an e version for your Kindle or your your Nook or or whatever you like. So um, let's talk briefly about the events of the Conscience of the King. So Jim Kirk is summoned by an old friend, uh, Doctor Thomas Layton, to uh, to his col- the colony in which he lives under. Kind of false pretenses. I guess we can be honest about that. He lied. <laughs> he lies. Uh, just to get Kirk there to try to expose this this actor as as a mass murderer. And the guy who who led a mass murder at the colony they they were at twenty years previously. And that's kind of how the whole episode starts. And then it becomes, well, is he or isn't he? Right. And and then all of a sudden people start dying, including the aforementioned Dr. Thomas Layton. And um, and that's kind of where we're at. So it leaves Kirk at a very interesting place. And so he decides to well, do the right thing and bring all these actors aboard the Enterprise, because what could possibly go wrong? Nothing will battle happen. Not at all. You know, before we no. get before we get into what happens on the ship, can I just say I love, you know, this is a very early episode of TOS. You know, we're still getting our feelers as to what everybody's like, but can I just say Planet Q? Um, huh. It's a good thing it wasn't Planet X because then Duck Dodgers from the 24th century might have shown up and that could have just wrecked havoc everywhere. But I, I don't want to digress <laughs> again. But I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and I also found it very <laughs> convenient that when Kirk and uh, Miss Caridian, Lenore, uh, were walking in uh, the woods uh desert i don't really know what it was but it just happened to be the same path that dr layton was laying in dead i found that kind of funny i, I don't know i just parts of that episode were, were interestingly humorous to me so kirk in this episode is like what 35 36 yeah somewhere in there mm-hmm. we're, we're ballparking we're not looking for exact so you know if it, the people who want to uh, send us the exact age that's fine but we're just for this discussion we're just ballparking it and lenore caridian is how old do you remember 26 19. What? Is it? That's it? 19. Yes. Ouch. (laughs) Okay. I thought it was season three where Kirk was the ladies man. (laughs) Well, and I mean, admittedly, Kirk is trying to get close to her to get close to, um, to Anton Caridian, the, the man he suspects or that Tom Layton suspects is, uh, Kodos. Kodos. Um, I, I was, 
thinking first names and then uh, cuz there's a first name dropped in Dayton Ward's novel and uh, and then I yeah. So but yeah, she's 19. And I'm like, "Wow." And the first thing he does is he, he, you know, he gives her his drink. <laughs> that he was already out of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we we kid a little bit, but you know, there's the, Jim Kirk goes through an entire series of events. Of course, he doesn't even tell Spock about it, right? Yeah. He just says, "Yep, I'm going to bring these actors on board, and well, I'll contact the Astral Queen, you know, the Captain who goes, hi, Jim, <laughs> and I'll take them to their calling. I'll figure out what's going on, and he doesn't tell the person he trusts the most." which is Spock. And that's something that always really kind of made me scratch my head about this episode. You know, we've talked about Kirk's obsession before. And in this case, he, it, it's different than the episode obsession, but he clearly has an obsession to solve this, this mystery and, and figure out what's going on after his friend dies. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I think one of the things that is a, is a miss in this episode. And, and by that, I don't mean a miss as in a miss, but a miss is it is an early episode. We're still getting to know the cast and crew and there's, there's very different personalities and way things are done in this early episode. The way Spock talks to McCoy is very different than what we're familiar with. Just, you know, it, it, I think it's kind of cool that the doctor can be sitting there in the doctor's office, having a drink. Um, that's always interesting. And the way that Kirk does, keep things to himself and doesn't share anything with Spock. And then when Spock asks, he gets kind of pissed off. Um, it's very different than what we're used to only a few episodes down the road in TOS season one, when everything starts to come together. So for me, I think that's what one of the reasons that I kind of have issues with this episode is because it's so different than what we're used to seeing with the TOS crew. Makes sense. But you see, that's one of the, that's one of the things I actually like about this episode, to be honest. I like that, you know, it's still early on in TOS. We have no idea how long the crew has been together at this point. And I'm sure there are things that they're still working through because we do see them evolve, even if this, this series is completely episodic in nature and has amnesia from what happened essentially from one week to the next. Mm -hmm. But I, I do like that some of the interactions between McCoy and Spock are are definitely more chain of commandish than they are necessarily friends who constantly torment each other. Something I would know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, don't don't get me wrong. I don't dislike those scenes. I just think sure. it's because it's kind of disjointed and what we're used to. It makes it a little peculiar for me. But I do agree with you. Those scenes are great. It, it's almost as if Spock is giving the doctor an order without saying I'm giving you an order. Well, and he does when he says, yeah, no, you're going to present that report to the captain right now. <laughs> Okay. And I'm like, okay. whoa, dude, step off. Let me finish my drink first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's Spock, at least, you know, well, let me let me finish what I'm doing. Let me finish the report. Nope, here we go. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um You know, it's Spock is is very he's very blunt in this episode. He's very forthright, almost kind of the way he is in Where No Man Has Gone Before to that extent, but certainly a little more polished. But I like that interaction. I like the interactions between him and Kirk and him and McCoy because I I think that there are times where that Spock is called for. And this is one of those episodes to me. I think he's more emotional in this episode than we see him uh, in a lot of other episodes. Sort of it reminds me a little bit about the cage when he smiles, when he grabs the singing plant. Um, right. We saw a lot more of that um, loosey-goosey emotionalness that we don't see with Spock's character later on. Um, 
and again, it was one of those things that kind of distracted me a little bit. And I, but I totally understand what you're saying is that we're getting used to this crew for the first time. You know, I mentioned a couple times now that even from the time I was six or seven, this was one of my favorite episodes. And you have to thinking about that. I mean, there's not a lot here to capture the attention of a six or seven year old, because let's be honest, like last week's episode, Dear Doctor, there is very little action in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's lots of conflict and lots of drama. So that must tell you that I was a child with issues. <laughs> Fast forward 30 plus years, 40. But, you know, one of the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're very kind. But, you know, one of the things I thought was the coolest was Dr. Tom Layton, because you don't see the left side of his face until about 10 minutes into the episode. And then when he does that sort of quarter turn toward the camera, at first you think, well, he's got an eye patch. But though you realize that he's essentially two-faced from Batman, right? <laughs> he's got this thing that covers more than ha- – well, about half of his face. And you know that well, he mentions that, you know, the Kodos did something to him. So he suffered something that was so extreme that half of his face is just permanently covered with that that black sort of application thing. And as a kid, that was like, whoa. Okay. I had a completely opposite reaction to that. When I was watching that as a kid, that scared the heebie-jeebies out of me. I was petrified about that guy because of that, especially it being over his eye. And then, the, and yeah. then, like you said, when it pans across his whole face, that scared the crap out of me as I kid. And one of the reasons I didn't like watching it when I was a kid, because that guy scared me so much. Well, you know, I think that that's one of the, the things that really tells you how bad Kodos was, right? If he, yeah, he, he led some, some revolt. Yeah. 4,000 people were killed, blah, blah, blah. But there's no real on-screen demonstration as to how ruthless this guy was or, or how, how exacting he was until you see this. When Tom Layton turned, to, turns toward the camera, you realize that it was more than just killing 4,000 people. It happened in a brutal and savage way. And, and that's really what, what's at stake here. This guy who who allegedly was burned beyond recognition may have faded into the shadows and assumed a new life. And that's that's pretty amazing if you think about it. But see, there's where my confusion comes in. And I don't want to give any spoilers away for novels, but they explain it in the autobiography of James C. Kirk. But when watching this episode before that novel, they make it clear that Kodos may have brutally killed 4,000 people, but it was done in a way that it was painless to the victims. It's, he's still considered an executioner and it was it was horrific and this, that, and the other thing. But when they're talking about what happened, those 4,000 people didn't suffer. So what happened to uh, Dr. Um, Layton to get his face the way it was? Did something else happen? Was, you know, did he escape halfway through whatever was going on? That's an area that's always confused me even to this day, about what's going on with his character, how he got that way, if we're not to consider a book canon, um, based on what is discussed as to how those 4,000 people died. You know, can I, I tangent here for a second sure. about the whole canon thing? I, I'm so tired of canon, and I know you are oh, too. Yeah. Yep. And I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm just going to – I almost think I'm going to stop considering canon because I care about good stories, Right. You know, we've talked a lot about how we consider Star Trek continues to be actual Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I'm at the point now where there are so many great novels that have existed over the last 50 years, right. you know, that many of them 
tell stories which are absolutely worthy of of the notation of being canon. So I'm at the point now where I'm ready to throw canon out the window, not because it doesn't mean anything, because I think it's far too constricting. And really, it's a tool for writers more than it is anything else. It was never meant to be the litmus test that fans use on whether something is or is not Star Trek. And can I go off on a small tangent as well, based on what you just said? Um, I got to say that I agree with you 100% everything you just said. I love the novels. You know, Everybody who listens to the show knows how much I love the novels. And I can consider them canon if I want to. I just consider everything Star Trek is Star Trek. So what's the difference? I got to imagine for the folks writing Discovery, sitting in that writer's room every week, they must pull their hair out when they start talking about what is canon and what isn't. Can we do this? Can we do that? Do we have to pull this in? If I was sitting in that room, I'd be going nuts trying to figure out how we need to work quote unquote canon into a story so yeah uh, yeah, it's a word that um, you know did the word even exist before star trek came along (laughs) it did it's got actual religious connotations um which is the other thing that just makes me bristle you know we talked about that with john champion on discovering trek's mid-season review Mm. a little bit yep but um you know it's just uh, i think it does nothing but bind you know hinder us yes and bind us to a certain telling of events you know where as novels and comic books have been telling amazing stories for decades now, and people have enjoyed them just as much as they've enjoyed televised Trek on some level. So um, that's, that's my little tangent there. So here, here, um, here, here, here. <laughs> One of the other things that has always impressed me about this episode in hindsight, not necessarily when I was a kid, because I didn't really know at six or seven years old, is that this is really one of the earliest injections of Shakespeare into Star Trek. I mean, the very title is taken straight from Shakespeare. You know, they're performing Shakespearean plays, um, and the episode itself is just incredibly Shakespearean in nature. So, I mean, it kind of has that sort of, you know, trifecta going for it. And I didn't realize this until my late teenage, early 20s, um, when I would actually bring my collected works of Shakespeare bound volume with me just about every place I went because I was fascinated by Shakespeare thanks to Next Gen, mm-hmm. which I think is the ultimate irony. I'm, I hate to say this because I'm probably going to uh, aggravate a lot of people. I've never been a huge Shakespeare person. And I, I make a little bit of a joke of it earlier, trying to figure out what's actually being said because of the different ways that Shakespeare speeches sound has always made me like try to dissect what's being said and being said in the right way. So I don't enjoy it as much as I should. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. You know, it's, it's hard work on some level, mm-hmm. but you know, once you, you get through some of that, you know, uh, the, 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 the dialect and the, the language structure of that era, it's, it's actually not too hard. And I got to uh, say on, and, and on the other side of the coin, that's what makes the Shakespeare work so incredible is that, that dialogue that goes on. I'm sure Brooke, our friend Brooke is going to just be ready to kill me for saying that I had a problem with the Shakespeare aspect of, of, of this episode and, and future Star Trek episodes. But you know, it, it, it doesn't mean that I don't like it. It's just, sometimes it's hard for me to understand because I'm slow. It's a, people can, you know, I can admit that. Um, <laughs> one of the things that it, it's very Shakespearean and it's right off the, right. The very first scene um, in the teaser, when, when um, Caridian is is playing Macbeth and murders King Duncan, you can kind of get an idea of what this whole episode is going to be about when he quotes the line, will all Neptune's great ocean wash this blood clean from my hands? Now, that's something that I've always appreciated. That's kind of a cool and ominous 
line. And it's it when you're looking at this episode, that fits in perfectly. Well, that's it. It foreshadows the entire episode, right? Because Kodos or Caridian, whichever you want to call him at this point, has had to live with that blood on his hands. You know, he didn't he didn't necessarily enjoy that task, but there was a pretty dire and serious situation going on at the colony. Certainly, he doesn't really get any um, <laughs> any relief from that, nor does he deserve any uh, any in, in my opinion. But um, ultimately. This is something that has haunted him for for 20 years and and deservedly so. Mm -hmm. Um, And and before anyone asks, uh, uh, the conscience of the king is actually a quote from, if memory serves, Hamlet Act 2, Scene 2. It's the quote that usually starts off the uh, the plays the thing. So also they worked in a play quite literally. So Star Trek managed to take this very literal adaptation of of that particular line and apply it to an episode, which I thought was pretty genius for the time, especially in 1960s television. Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's all I got to say. It, it, we could we could speak about the Shakespearean aspect of this for the whole you know rest of our show if we wanted to, um, because it's done in in such a great way. Uh, but um, I would be talking in circles, like I'm doing right now. <laughs> uh, great input, Dan. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, you know, I mentioned this a, a bit ago in, in referring to my younger self, but. I think because of its Shakespearean qualities, there is there's a lot of conflict and drama here, and not a lot that that goes on action wise. You figure there's um, there's the phaser on overload, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, and there's a uh, Kevin Riley getting poisoned in engineering with the uh, with the squirt bottle, which I thought was an interesting <laughs> choice. But um, and you know Kirk and Spock are tearing apart to various places looking for that phaser. So other than that, there's not a whole lot of action. Per se, but there's a there's a lot to chew on. There are some pretty weighty scenes in this in this uh, entire episode. I think that some of the weightiest scenes, of course, are a lot of the confrontational speech scenes. Um, I'll mention it right now. I think we're going to be talking about it later. My favorite scene of the episode is the scene where Kirk confronts Kodos. Uh, I think yes. it was, it's a, it's just a brilliant scene. Arnold Moss, I'll tell you, I could listen to that guy, read the telephone book. His voice is so great. Um, and that's why I like that scene so much, but, uh, you, you forgot one of the most important scenes you, you mentioned earlier in our episode here today that it's not unlike dear doctor where there's very little action. When you think about it, there's, there's a, there's a lot of action in this episode, when you compare it to Dear Doctor, especially we get a, a phaser is fired in this episode. We didn't get to see that in Dear Doctor. So whenever we see some phaser Not fire, sure. it's always a good thing. Well, and and I, we can talk about this now. Um, the phaser is fired and um, it's fired by somebody who is bat guano crazy. <laughs> because, I mean, let's let's face it. Lenore Caridian uh, has some serious issues. You think? I mean, that... I mean that in all seriousness. Mm-hmm. And, and to say that she's back one oh crazy is, is to you know maybe lighten it up a little bit because this is a pretty heavy episode. But this is a, a troubled young woman who's had to reconcile what her father has done. And in her love and, and her admiration for him, she's figured the only way she can protect him is to murder the nine witnesses to who he is so that he can be free and clear in her mind. And – that's that's a you know for a 1960s television that's that's pretty heavy stuff man 
and to top it off, she's doing it without her father's knowledge. So it has yeah. to make you think, does he think she knows what he did or is he completely in the dark that she knows? And can you imagine what in the small time that's left between what happens uh, when she reveals what she's been doing and when he dies, you imagine that burden? Oh, my God, she knows what I did. And she's been doing things as a result of it in her way to help me. That's got to be the worst feeling in the world for a parent. Yeah, because not only has he had to live with the guilt of ruining the lives of 4,000 people and ending the lives of 4,000 others, now he has to live with the guilt of the fact that you know his daughter, who I'm sure he loves more than anything in this world, has been affected by this to the point where you know her her stability is 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 in s- severe doubt you know and that's uh, that's a horrible position for a parent let's you know uh, he's got all this other weighty stuff and then to realize he's failed the person that he needed to um to to, to support the most is even worse what i what i find very interesting with this episode is how it ended where you know, she's been doing all these horrific things. You know, you you look at, you know, is 4,000 people worse than seven people? You know, there's that argument that people could have because really it isn't one. One is enough. Uh, right, but right. when you see what she's been doing and then you see her completely crack when she kills her father and she is like laughing, crying hysterically um, after it happens. But then when the episode is ending, McCoy talks to Kirk. She doesn't remember anything and thinks that he's out doing his thing, acting out somewhere on different planets. That's an interesting way for a 1960s Star Trek episode to wrap up something of such magnitude as to someone completely losing their mind. I thought that was an interesting and maybe kind of a cop-out way to end the episode. You know, perhaps, but I think that's that's sort of emblematic of the time, mm-hmm. right? They call it a psychotic break, you know, and, and so you can have a little bit of empathy or even sympathy for the character. You know, she's she's not been herself. Maybe it was because she learned of these things that her father did and that's what that's what caused it, right? So you know, it, it at least provides a viewer to, to sort of go, oh, kind of like that. Yeah. Um, when in fact, she's she's deeply mentally disturbed. And I, I don't think that that's touched on enough. Again, thanks 1960s. Right. But as we look at this today, we can see that, you know, th- this this is not unlike something you'd see in an episode of Criminal Minds. Let's be honest. Yeah, it'd be probably a little bit deeper uh, these days on Criminal Minds. You know, would she, I wonder, you got to wonder. This is another tangent she, with the way that she completely lost it and, and was criminally insane. I wonder if Dr. Corey would end up seeing her. Hmm. Ooh, uh, good. Pull. Yeah, we'll have to ask Norm about that. Uh, Governor Corey, of course, from uh, whom gods destroy. Yes. Love that. Yeah. Love that episode. Maybe you're welcome. I, um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The interesting thing, and I'm going to go off on another tangent here is Barbara Anderson, who played Lenore Caridian. It was fantastic in the part, I'm going to say. Yes. Um, was on the the series Ironside with Raymond Burr for, you know, uh, 100 episodes or so. So, I mean, she's she's certainly somebody who's made her mark on television. Mm-hmm. Ironside was one of my parents' favorite shows. And 
I actually uh, wound up opening a, a checking account for Don Galloway, who was one of the stars of Ironside when he moved to New Hampshire after he retired. So wow. there you go. A little story. Okay. Yeah. That was, that's kind of cool. Yeah. A little tangent there. A little bit. Um, yeah. A little uh, six degrees. So we have some favorite parts of this episode. I'm, I'm guessing. I know I do. Yes. Um, I don't know if you have as many as I do, because like you said, for a good chunk of time, you didn't like this episode as much as I did. Right. So I, I can go first or you can go first. It doesn't really matter to me. No, that's, I'll throw a couple things in there real quick and then uh, we'll, we'll build on it. I, it's funny. I watched this um, just a couple of nights ago as we were finishing getting the house ready for the move. Um, and here's another tangent. So our house is completely empty. All we have in the living room is a, a dresser with a TV on it and we're streaming uh, the original series. And all of our furniture is gone. So we have two... Uh, of those yard lawn chairs in our living room to sit down <laughs> and a little plastic table um, to watch the Star Trek episode. So we're watching it and Sue is sitting there and, and she's looking up and paying attention from time to time. And she goes, wow, this episode's really bad. <laughs> and it was, it was, um, I forget what scene it was. I think it was actually, what's kind of funny is I think it was the scene between Kodos or, or, Caridian and, and Kirk because the, 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 the dialogue is very interesting in that scene. Kirk doesn't pull any punches. He's very abrupt. He's very direct. And you can see Kodos is, is, is struggling with what he should be saying or doing because he's feeling that guilt overwhelm him again. His facial expressions to me showed that. But uh, I found it interesting that my favorite scene of the episode, uh, Sue was like, wow, this is this is not good. <laughs> That's interesting. Yep. I, uh, I don't think I, I didn't know that. So I um, it well, it goes to great lengths to prove the champion rule once again, right? Everybody's favorite True. episode of Star Trek is somebody's least favorite. Mm-hmm. So, but that's that's actually kind of hilarious. The fact that you were watching it in that fashion, she just looks right up and, and says that. So, um, but what are your, some of your favorite moments of this episode? I I gotta say, I love the phaser overload scene. I I think that, really? I think it's hysterical because really, guys, you're gonna go. It's Spock, It's the captain's quarters, and they hear this phaser. Of, of course, now you would think that the sound would be coming from a direct area, but. You know, whatever. <laughs> but anyway, so Kirk is just kind of standing there, and he's 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 looking around, kind of like Jim Carrey with his arms swinging back and forth, and Ace Ventura, and Spock's in his in the captain's bedroom, just going through the drawers and just flailing clothes all over the place. I thought it was hysterical. He, Spock finally leaves, and Kirk is still looking through books, and then all of then all of a sudden, it's too loud for him, and he has to put his hands over his ears. I just think that I mean, it's just so silly, but it's funny. And then when he sees the phaser, thank God it was a red alert. Otherwise, he wouldn't have seen it at all. And then they just kind of have this magical phaser dump shoot so that they can put an overloaded phaser in there and it won't hurt the ship. Even though it'll take out, you know, two or three decks if it explodes, you know, not in that phaser dump shoot. Well, here's the thing we have to assume with that, right? That it's a a trash shoot, (laughs) not unlike the ones that they had in like some apartment buildings at the time in the 60s. and Theoretically, it takes the trash and dumps it into <laughs> space. <laughs> so, so I have to believe that the phaser was jettisoned out into space, right? Yep. And I'm like, going, so wait, what are the trash protocols on the Enterprise? Because <laughs> um, it's not like they have like a giant room like there was on the Death Star. 
So are they just taking their trash and going, oh, yeah, oh, no, I'll be right up to my shift on the bridge. Let me just get rid of this, you know, these fish bones. And then put them in a bag and then eject them out into space? Oh, gosh. I just I, – I mean, it's so unrealistic. But I think that's one of the reasons why I love the scene so much. I just I just love it. The the, the whole Spock flailing the, the, the shirts and stuff out of the drawers, I just think it's funny. It's like, dude, you can't hear the phaser. It's up in the corner. It's not in his room. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag fishbones in space. Um, I, that is, to me, a scene – I mean, it's meant to be dramatic, right? I do look at it as, as a bit lighter because it is a little preposterous. And to me, it helps, it, you know, now 50 years after the fact, it helps break the the tension of the whole episode to me. You know, it, cl- clearly the, the characters are in peril. They dealt with it the best way they could. Somebody had the idea, let's, let's put a, sh- a trash shoot or something there or whatever they want to call it. <laughs> so I get it. But, you know, we can look at this and chuckle now and go, yeah, that probably wasn't the best idea. I um. Yeah. Yeah. Any other uh, favorite ep- moments? Um, humorously, I think uh, Riley's food of disassembled Rubik's Cube is pretty funny. Um, we hear <laughs> that quite a bit in different uh, episodes of, of TOS. Um, you brought it up before the the squirt gun, uh, squirt bottle poisoning uh, when he's drinking the milk. I, I thought it was kind of funny, and and you would have a glass of milk like that when you're working in engineering. It just seems a little strange to me. But uh, I will say that, in all seriousness, one of the things I also like the most about this episode is we get to see Kirk in a way that we don't see him. And that sounds a little bit um, uh, hypocritical of what I said before and that we're not used to the crew. But you see him as a regular guy trying to work his charm on somebody at the beginning, especially at the party, you get to see a side of him that we don't get to see when he's in command of the enterprise. And I didn't dislike that. I thought it was interesting. If not laying it on a little bit too thick as Kirk, uh, with Ms. Caridian, but I did really enjoy that aspect of the character. You know, that's actually one of the things I was going to bring up as one of my favorite moments. So we'll talk about it now. Kirk on the planet. Is you're right. He's a relaxed Jim Kirk. He even Lenore Caridian, you know, brings it out. It's mm-hmm. like you know, this isn't the guy who's responsible for hundreds of lives and a, a ship. And he's a guy who can kick back a little. He can let his hair down. And I think that's one of the the interesting things that we didn't see enough of Kirk in the original series because he was always a commander and a leader of men right. and women. Right. And I uh, I agree with you entirely that's it's one of my favorite parts of this episode is seeing that that nuance and that depth to kirk that shatner gives him in that scene because it's it's really quite brilliant it is very brilliant i just i i it's always something that i've liked about about this episode absolutely you got any others um the silver tights on caridian are hysterical but of course it's the wardrobe <laughs> of the time i just thought that was kind of funny um and the you know, you just talked about a Kirk on the planet. He's he's so different. But I'll tell you, even Kirk in command of the Enterprise, when she walks onto the bridge, he changes completely. It just yeah. it's just it's really interesting to see that he can be so smitten by someone that he's just met. We don't see this very often with Kirk, but you know, we have Doctor Marcus and we have um, Raina Kopic uh, in another episode later on down the road. There mm-hmm. are certain women in Kirk's life that really make us see that he really can love someone. I just think it's kind of funny that he can love someone after only talking with her for five minutes and giving his drink to her. 
<laughs> and then seeing his friend dead. Yes. Um, I've got a few moments that, uh, that I think are fantastic in this episode. And we, I mentioned Kirk on the planet just a second ago. I have to say, I love Uhura's song when Kevin Riley's in engineering and he's like, yeah, sing something for me. <laughs> and she sings the beyond, I think it's beyond Antares in this episode. Right. Um, and I just, I don't know. It's, it's just such a, it's a beautiful song. Michelle, of course, sings it amazingly well. I think it fits the scene. You know, it allows us to see that there's something amiss going on in engineering when Kevin Riley's not looking. Great lighting. Great. Li- oh man. The lighting in that engineering scene is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's something that fits well. Unlike the, uh, the space hippie jam, you know, later on in the series. Um, <laughs> doom, 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 doom. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let, let me, one thing, I agree with you. I love the song, but one thing that distracts me every single time I've watched it, which isn't a lot, is the lip syncing is completely off by Nichelle when she's singing the song. Uh, yeah, that doesn't bother me. It bothers me. Right? It drives me crazy. <laughs> to be honest, in the, in the 40 plus years I've been watching this episode intermittently, I've never noticed it. Well, that's you. <laughs> Thanks for ruining this episode for me, Dan. <laughs> And then I have to say that I really dig the observation deck scene in this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's there's a really nice give and take between Lenore and between Kirk. Um, it's the first time they talk about how uh, they try to mimic nighttime mm-hmm. on the Enterprise. I think that's really fascinating. It gives you some kind of look on how they try to approximate, you know, planetary conditions on some level, regardless of what that planet is. But it does make me wonder where the observation deck is on the Enterprise. Cause it's supposed to overlook the shuttle bay, right? Yeah. And then immediately behind them is a window with stars moving, I think, from left to right. Yes. Um, no innuendo in that scene either, huh? No. no not no. at all. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it is no. a good scene. It, you know what it reminds me of? That that whatever set that they use kind of reminds me of the scene in the Mark of Gideon when they open the window and they're all like, kind of like milling around. Um, I don't know if it was the same set. It's just, for some reason that reminds me of it, but yeah, that's a good scene as well. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't thought of that one. I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it's either a variation of that set or at least uses one of the same set pieces, Mm -hmm. but you're right. I, I, it made me think of Mark of Gideon instantly too. So, um, but I, I just, I do love the, the give and take between the characters there in that scene. Mm -hmm. Those are some of my favorites, um, about the phaser on overload, just to double back to that for a second. Um, I was watching it just the other day and my dog was on the sofa sleeping until the phaser on overload kicked into high gear. And then she sort of shot up and was like, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, no, no, Abby, it's okay. It's just a phaser on overload. They're going to put it down the garbage chute. It'll be fine. Boba Fett. And she's looking at me like, yeah, Boba Fett, where? (laughs) And she's looking at me like, what does that mean? I have no idea what you're saying to me. Almost kind of like my wife would look at me. So... (laughs) Yeah. So Dan, I was considering central questions for this episode and in my mind, there's really only one. And I think that it's got many possible answers to it, which is why I sort of left us with one central question. And it's this, what, if anything, should Captain Kirk have done differently in handling this? Because there are a series of things that go wrong simply because he brings these actors on board the ship. Yeah. Uh, the one that stands out for me the most, I think, man, is that scene between he and Kodos. It, he just walks in and goes, hey, uh, this is long past due. Are, are you Kodos? I mean, it's, it's he is so 
wham in your face. And uh, I thought that that was a poor uh, decision for a captain of a starship to make. Now, no, gr- granted, that was a horrific thing that he witnessed 20 years ago, but I think it could have been handled differently. Uh, it's like, I don't even know how to, how to, how to relate it to anything in today's world. It's like going in, going to talk to somebody that, you know, that, you know, Hey, did you kill that guy yesterday? I mean, just like bluntly, just opening up a conversation with a question like that. I mean, automatically, uh, Caridian is on the defensive and it makes for a very uneasy and awkward conversation, even if it's deserved. Uh, from his standpoint, that was something I think he could have done differently. Of course, bringing the whole crew on or the whole cast on was probably not the smartest of ideas. No, and and that's kind of what I go back to. I, I always say to myself, that company of actors should never been brought aboard the Enterprise, you know, because it's a ship of 430 people. And, you know, if they suspect that that, that Kodos is is killing people at that point, because that's what that was, you know, what what he thought. Mm-hmm. Um, why put people on the Enterprise at risk? Um, this could have been dealt with on the on Planet Q, which is not where the Q live, by the way. Whoa, um, whoa. Really? Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's not. Wow. Um, spoiler alert. Thanks. You know, especially once he discovered that Tom Layton was dead. Right. One of his his friends. Why bring that whole mess? Up to the Enterprise. And why not deal with the planet side? Was there any uh, like investigation? All they did was they they picked the guy up off the ground and put him on the couch. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> they, he brings him in the house, puts him on the couch. His wife puts a blanket over him. And then cries and runs away. <laughs> it's like, well, and then he goes, oh, let me call the Astral Queen. Hiya, Jim. <laughs> I knew it's just going to do that. <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. So. I mean, I get it. I mean, they, they had to get the action aboard the ship. It's a bit of a, yep. you know, in a way, a ship in a bottle episode right. in that regard. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I just think that, and Kirk, you know, does it partly out of his obsession to figure out what's going on. But I do think that it's a poor decision on Kirk's part, even if I love this episode as much as I do. Speaking of poor decisions, let's bring up one yes. thing that is just, this was another a part of the episode where Sue was like, Really? McCoy has to have a little bit more tact, I think. Oh, my God. Let's yes. just do this captain or this ship's medical officer log really loud about how this guy could be a mass murderer who killed the family of the guy five feet away from me. Uh, whoa. <laughs> if, if I've learned anything from this, this particular episode of Star Trek is don't tell McCoy stuff. <laughs> and possibly HIPAA doesn't exist. <laughs> In in this century, think? I'm just saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Lay off the yeah, soft bones. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and the history of the theater, no doctors ever made the first few minutes of a play. Oh, where'd he go? <laughs> oh, I wonder if he heard my log. Maybe I'll tell the captain. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Oh, good, good stuff. Dan, that kind of wraps up our look at Conscience of the King. Um, so much to talk about, about this episode, but I, I think what I really recommend people do is watch it go and get Dayton Ward's novel drastic mm-hmm. measures which we have bought ourselves you know we haven't been comped anything this was not a this was not a paid discussion not of at the all. conscience of the king nope. by any means and then go watch conscience of the king again because i think it's going to 
bring a whole lot more to light that'll give us something to think about. At least that's what I plan to do, and I'm sure that you probably will too. Absolutely. I plan on it. And and again, I'm going to give another plug. There is a great chapter in the autobiography of James D. Kirk that deals with Tarsus IV, and it, it's it's done very well, like we talked about before, canon, non-canon. Great books. Enjoy them. Don't read too much into canon or not. Check it out. And I can't wait to start Dayton's book. I'm really looking forward to it. Same here. I'm, uh, you're gonna, I'm loving it so far, and I know you will too. Dan, of course, we want to thank our dear friends, Five Year Mission, the amazing band. Dan, they are writing one song for each and every episode of the original series, and sometimes more than that, as we've learned over the years. And um, it's music that we just love. They are every ounce of music that you hear on Trek Geeks, from the opening theme to the bumper music to the end theme, and on Discovering Trek 2. We want everyone to head out, out to fiveyearmission.net, get all their albums, prepare, because year four is going to be hitting very, very soon. You know, collect their entire discography, Dan, fiveyearmission.net. Discography. Yes, that's a, you're welcome. That's a great, wow, I don't even know how to spell that. I won't even try. You know, you're right. They're awesome. We love them. Fiveyearmission.net. Get their stuff. But I got to say, Bill, uh, and just looking back, we just had a great discussion today about the conscience of the king, haven't we? Uh, we have. Kodos the Executioner. That's just a horrific and scary name. And what he did was so brutal. But in his own way, he thought he was doing the right thing. And it's kind of crazy when you think about that. All those musicians and singers and band members brutally murdered so that others may live 4,000 for 4,000. You know, such as the story we were told about those 4,000 people who died at the hands of a madman on that faraway planet, Farxus 4. Uh, oh, boy. So, uh, I just... Farxus 4. Tarsus Fark? No, no. Farxus 4. Farxus I suppose four. is the better of those two. Thank, thank you. It flows better. It does flow. Yeah, it flows. And that's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, fiveyearmission.net. Please get all their albums. Show Five Year Mission a whole lot of love. They are fantastic. We are huge fans, and we know that you will be too. Dan, next week, we're still celebrating the 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine and we're going to take a look at the man, the legend, the emissary of the prophets himself. I can't wait. Oh, we're finally, you know, we're really getting into our celebration of the 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine here in 2018. So we figured, you know what, why not start the discussion on that man who was a central figure of such an incredible television show. So we're going to talk favorite scenes. We're going to talk favorite episodes. We're going to talk about Avery Brooks, the actor himself, and everything in between that makes the man Benjamin Lafayette Sisko. Next week on an all-new Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. <laughs> this is one I can't wait for. I'm a huge Sisko fan. Sisko's probably my favorite captain. Mm -hmm. Deep Space Nine, my favorite series, and I don't think any discussion of Deep Space Nine is possible without examining Cisco. because whereas other Star Treks are our journey to other worlds, Deep Space Nine is his journey, and I think that that's really kind of what makes Deep Space Nine special. Absolutely. I just, I can't wait for this whole year-long celebration, and why not start with, with the top of the chain, so to speak? It's going to be great. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions. They're online at the tricordertransmissions.com. They just added a brand new podcast called Reading Trek, which is about Star Trek novels. That's very exciting. They uh, they dealt with uh, David Mack's novel first, the uh, the Desperate Hours. I, see, I did what you did just a few minutes ago. Thank you very much. And uh, I think already they've got episode two out, so it's I'm very excited. Can't wait to check it out. Uh, that's the tricordertransmissions.com. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Treks, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 129 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. There's a stain of coconut on your shining armor, Captain. Oh, you sounded just psychotic enough for that. That was fantastic. Thank you. I try. It's very easy, actually. again i don't know if i can no, come on punch yourself <laughs> physically <or something. laughs> well, i'd rather rather punch you okay well bing bong from new hampshire <laughs> bing bong. welcome granite stater yes it's good to be back you'll always be a mainer in your heart though <laughs> don't let my wife hear you say that she's she'll be punching you <laughs> well no I, I would never say that to her I because know. she is a mainer yes but but you're a mainer oh, all right if you say so I think there's the entire state of Maine that is going to disagree with you on that. I am from away, as they like to say. I don't give a crap what they say. Uh, you're from Maine. Wow. Where did you move here from? Well, that's Maine. That's, you're from Maine. Well, where did I move from first? Um, New Hampshire, but you hate you hate New Hampshire. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. For all the people in New Hampshire listening right now, Bill is lying. I love New Hampshire, and I'm glad to be back. You're only moving back because you're you're working in Massachusetts and you don't want to pay Mass State income tax. <laughs> wow, my goodness gracious! So it's yeah. not untrue. It's <laughs> it's great to be back here with you. I guess. Ugh. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's no, it's really not. So how did the uh, how did the move go yesterday? It went well. It was a long day. I mean, we yeah uh, we. You know, we've we've done. Oh my God, we have done. I'd say ten to fifteen landfill runs in the last two weeks for stuff that wow. we just decided we weren't going to keep, and we still have a full storage unit in Maine and a full U-Haul truck out in my brother-in-law's driveway. Uh, you, you you gather a lot of stuff in sixteen years, and it was very hard for me to say stuff and not boop. So yeah, right, <laughs> right. I um. I can only imagine. I mean, someday when we decide to relocate, we'll have that problem ourselves, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, but still. Yeah. 
It, uh, it was uh, it was very bittersweet. It, you know, we're both excited about the next chapter, but you know, we were there for 16 years, and at the end of the day, when we were all done and leaving, we had every light of every room in the house on, and we started in the in the finished basement and walked and videotaped every room and shut off every light as kind of like a little like uh, uh, just like a little process, and we ended up the last room was our bedroom. Shut the light off and headed out. That was it. Wow. Yeah. And you feel good about it? I feel good. It was sad. But, uh, yeah, we feel good. Get things started down here and uh, be closer to you all the time. That's great. I can't wait. Mm. Great. Yeah, great. So uh, it's funny, though. We're heading back up to Maine and tomorrow for the closing. So we can't stay away. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're a Mainer. <sighs> Can I go get some lobster? <laughs> I want some lobster, buddy. Oh, wait, I got to bleep that one. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. I mean, I mean, it's accurate as far as, as your Mainer dialect. Yes. But... <laughs> I'll tell you what, driving down that highway, I couldn't believe it. All the traffic was coming to and fro. I couldn't even believe what's going on. <laughs> wait, people from Maine don't talk that fast. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> hey Thank you. Thank so, you. There was one time I was about 19 years old. I was a regional trainer for Friendlies. The, uh, the restaurant chain. Mm-hmm. And um, I was on my way to the South Portland restaurant okay. to do training. Mm-hmm. And I took back roads because my father at the time suggested I should go up uh, up through New Hampshire and, and cut over. Um, and so I tried that and I, I got lost because these were the days before turn-by-turn navigation in your car. Yeah, exactly. These were the days before cell phones. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you had a map or you had an atlas and, and you... Uh, if you were taking a long trip, you did one of those triple A trip ticks. But yes. yet I digress. And um, so I tried this and I got lost because it was easy to do if you take back roads, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It shaved a half an hour off my trip in theory until I got lost. And then I stopped at some stupid gas station asking for directions to the friendlies in South Portland. And I, uh, it's like a bad movie, man. I tell you what, <laughs> the the old guy who was wearing overalls and, and a red baseball cap that wasn't Red Sox. It was just plain. Literally said to me, and I can't make this up, can't get there from here. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I'm like, this is so, now I understand the stereotype. I mean, stereotypes come from somewhere, right? But uh, I, I just, I, I was convinced there was a camera on me just waiting for the reaction, almost like candy camera. Yeah, you can't get there from here. But what you want to do is you want to go up the road and you don't want to take a left. You don't want to take a right. You want to take a straight. Take a straight, go up that way, and then you'll be right up there, buddy. You still talk way too fast. Take it straight. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You got to take it straight. He's almost like Forrest Gump. Here's the other thing is you can drive the speed limit in Maine on the highway on the interstate and pass people right and left. <laughs> it, is a, it is a slower pace of life in Maine. It's beautiful. Don't well, get me wrong. It's the way life should be. That's the motto. Which is why you couldn't wait to get the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, uh, Wow. Ooh, okay. I love Maine, especially leaving. Um, dun, dun, dun. Hey, but hey, the best thing about Maine is it's not Vermont. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, that's true. <laughs> wow, I love listen to us rag on other New England Whoa, states here us, on Trek Geek. Us? What are you talking about? It's a singular this time, Pally. <laughs> listen to all your listen to all your Maine stereotypes that you're bringing out in your impersonation. That's that's hatred right there, no, Mister. Impersonation is the greatest form of flattery. No, it's imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. And um, yeah, Mainer. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's calling you Granite Stater. It doesn't have the same effect. No, so. no, doesn't. Well, welcome back home, buddy. Thanks, it's man. Good to have you. It's good to be here, and uh, should be fun. I'm recording downstairs in the in the basement of my brother and sis- brother-in-law and sister's house, uh, like we do with Discovering Trek. So, coolness. Fantastic. Are you ready to do this, mon frere? I am tired. But ready oh, I'm tired too. Yeah. yeah, I'm tired. Okay. All right, let's do this.